and uh, I want to kind of expand your mind a little bit about areas that you struggle with in your Christian life. The question we have for you tonight is why do you do what you do? So the thing that you struggle with, the thing that is perhaps a point of weakness for you, uh, I'm assuming you're saved, and you know, God did not take away the ability to choose wrong when we got saved. Is that true? We still have the ability to choose wrong, and uh, it seems like we do it a lot, shamefully. And we could probably say we sin every day in some way or another. I think it was Spurgeon who said, we have sinned more often than there are moments that have been in our lives. So we are not always the people we want to be. Is that true? We are striving to do what God would have us do. But I want you to think about an area that you struggle with. We're not going to have a confessional time. We're not going to have a a time where you talk about it out loud. But I want you to think about an area, and this includes young people as well, older adults, younger adults, young people, even children could think through this, men or women. What is an area that you struggle with? And if you think about it, has this just been a recent struggle for you? Or has this been a years-long struggle for you? Maybe when you got saved, you came out of a, a past that maybe there's still some things that are, are a weakness to you because of you got saved later in life. But it may just be that you were saved at five or early on, and you right now continue to have a problem in a certain area. Let me just mention a couple things. Uh, and, and we're not talking about these deep, dark sins sometimes that, that, uh, you know, that we might want to preach about, like drugs or, or, or something like this. But let me just ask you, do you have any problem with something like complaining? Okay. See, there are sins that we don't preach about often in our churches, uh, or I should say that they are, seem to be more acceptable in our churches. We all know that, we all know that uh, you know, doing drugs would be wrong. We know that uh, you know, getting drunk would be wrong. Drinking would be wrong. We do know that uh, infidelity would be wrong. But what about sins of the spirit? Not sins of, of uh, the body in the, in the grosser sins that we could talk about, the bigger sins. What about gossip? What about overindulgement and overindulging in, in something that, that is okay in, in a little bit, but you go too far with it? Uh, it could be some type of entertainment that you, you know, sit down and you, you go too far with um, some form of entertainment. You know, we, we don't want to act like that we have it all together here, so let me just mention a couple of things. Um, is there um, a problem that you have with watching too many videos? Do you have a problem with video games? Do you have a problem with disrespect? Do you have a problem with laziness? Do you have a problem with the people you hang around with? Do you have a problem with peer pressure? I was a youth pastor for many years, and we took uh, I, I just something about doing surveys, just always kind of was something I did. And uh, over the years, I was in a couple different places where I did surveys with the youth group that I was the youth pastor over. And I would ask them, and then we had a Christian school as well, and I would ask these different groups to anonymously fill out a piece of paper, fill out on a piece of paper what your number one struggle is as a teenager. Your number one struggle as a teenager. I'd ask them to list a couple struggles because I wanted to kind of know what they were going through. 
but the number one struggle. We're talking about a youth group in uh, Michigan, youth group in Illinois, Christian school. And do you know what the number one answer continue to come back every time? I'm not evangelistically speaking here. Okay, I'm not making stuff up as I go. <laughs> um, friends, peer pressure was always at the top. Isn't that interesting? And it wasn't prompted by me in the sense of saying, hey, do this so I can have the statistic. But do you know adults have problems with peer pressure also? You know, why is it that we can love the Lord so much and in a, in, a, in a good church like this, we can talk about the Lord and freely sing about the Lord and then we get in the workplace and uh, as someone has said, why is it so hard to talk about the most important person in our life? If, if, I, if I stood up here and said, is anyone here an unbeliever, you know, and, and you deny the Lord, you know, no one would probably raise your hand. But then we get out there with coworkers or we get out there in a situation where other people are maybe talking about things that we don't stand for, we don't agree with, we don't even do. And, uh, and we just kind of shut up. And we don't say anything, and uh, maybe we even laugh along with it just so we can kind of be part of it and, and just be like, well, it wasn't too bad what they're saying. And, or, or maybe when it's time to speak up, and we don't. I wonder, husbands and wives, if you have any problem with arguing in your family. I wonder if anyone here has a problem with anger. Okay, boy, that would bring revival if we all dealt with our anger, amen? Okay, if I keep talking about this, will you get angry at me? Okay, okay. Uh, we have these, these situations in our life, but the question we want to ask tonight is not what do we do, because we know what we do. So how many, let's just, we're going to raise our hand here, okay? I don't know how interactive your church is, but we're not Pentecostal. I think your pastor just said he was, but, uh, but uh, we're going to, I just want you to raise your hand here. So let's, this is show that there's a, a life, a heartbeat there. How many know that you can think of an area in your life where it is a weak area for you? In other words, of all the areas you struggle with, there might be more than one in this area, but in this category, but there's an area where you um, are prone to mess up in that area. It's a little bit more of a, a challenge to you in that area, and you have to guard yourself. You have to be careful. Maybe it's been a problem over the years. Uh, you could call it a besetting sin, whatever, but you have an area of weakness. Okay, now this is going to apply to everybody, so in, you can actually raise your hand on this. Okay, your pastor's not taking notes in the back. Okay, he might take notes on if you don't raise your hand, because then he'll know you have a problem with lying. <laughs> okay, so how many say, yeah, I can recognize that I have an area of weakness that is a challenge for me, that I have to make sure that I'm guarded against that, but it has been a challenge for me. Can you raise your hand? Okay, so just think about that as we go through this message. won't be here uh, too long. I don't know if you heard about um, the, the, the man who was preaching, and on his way out, the guy met him at the door and said, Pastor, your message this morning reminded me of the mercy of God. He said, oh, the mercy of God, in what way? And he said, it endured forever, okay? All right, so we hope that tonight's message won't endure forever, but you know what you do. So think about you know what you do. Young people, think about you know what you do. Think about disobedience to your parents, or think about uh, fighting with uh, your siblings, or, or think about dishonesty, telling a lie, or, or whatever it might be. Adults can, uh, are dishonest also sometimes. Think about what you do. But tonight we're going to look at the, these three things that are behind the what you do, and it gets us to the why we do what we do. Now, this is going to take us a little deeper than just preaching against the things I just mentioned. It's going to take us into contemplating and looking down and saying, oh, I see. So in other words, there are some things that are below the surface that are influencing what's above the surface. There are sins that are going on. There's, there's things that are very active in our life underneath, or you could say in our heart, that are going on that produce the sin that we have on the outside. So as we go through this... Um, just think, think through it. Um, why do you do what you do? You know, even in marriages, there can be 
um, great struggles. Uh, one time a, a woman came to Winston Churchill, uh, I read, and she was mad at something he said. And she said, if you were my husband, I'd put arsenic in your drink. What about that? And he said to her, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. Okay. All right. So the fact is there, there can be real problems, even in marriages of good people, people who are trying to do right, people who are trying to be a witness, people who are trying to read their Bible every day, people who are faithful in church. And the question is, why do things keep happening? Why do we do what we do? We're going to look at three. And there may be more than three, but these three are always there every time you choose sin. Parents, this can help you. Godly adults, this can help you in the sense of if you work with people and not just always focusing on the outward sin. Parents, this can help you in in understanding more what's going on in your children's lives internally, not just the disobedience or not just the lying or the dishonesty or not just the fighting or, or whatever it might be, but actually saying, well, that's what they do. But Brother Brady was helping us see from the Bible that there's a reason they do what they do, and we need to deal with that because if we don't deal with the root, we don't deal with the major problem. Mark chapter 7 says this in verse number 20. And he said, Jesus speaking, as you can probably see in your uh, red letters, he says, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy. Pride, foolishness, all these things come from, what's the next word? From within, and defile the man. If you look back at verse number 20 again, that which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man, man or woman. For from, what's the next word? Within, out of the heart of men proceed these things. And then he brings it back around. All these evil things come from Within. So what is going on within us? I think it's good that if we have a problem that is a concern to us, it's certainly a concern to the Holy Spirit, and we need to identify the source of the problem. And we can say this, that many times people are perplexed. I had a young man say to me the other day, why do I keep messing up? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I keep falling into this trap? Why do I keep giving into that thing that I know is wrong? I can tell other people about it, and yet I still do it, or I've preached on it, or I've taught on it, and I still do it. I've made decisions at the altar, and I still do it. Well, the reason is because there are foundational issues that are the bigger problem, that God is wanting to work deep inside of us, and we can make decisions. Paul even says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are things I do. And he gets to the place of saying, oh, wretched man, that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? He's looking for answers. He's saying, what's really going on here? Who's going to deliver me? I can't even figure it out myself. And I'm this, this spiritual Christian that's writing these books, and I still have these problems. Well, we know from Scripture, according to Mark 7 here, that all sinful actions flow from the heart. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. So that means whenever I give in, it gets traced back to a heart issue. So in other words... If you think about the outward action, there's something in, a, in kind of a mere form. The outward action is there, but in the mere form, there's something that connects with that down inside 
my inner man, my inner person, that is not right, that's producing that thing, because sins don't just spontaneously appear, they come from within. You could say it this way, that if I have critical issues outwardly, there are critical internal issues. So think about this. If you have an issue that's critical, if you know this is, this is something that just is not right, I mean, there's no justification on it. I mean, other people, you know, they don't know I do this, or, or you know, I ask prayer requests, or whatever, but I have a real problem with this. If it's critical, and if it's not critical, you won't ever get help on it, basically. If it's not a big deal to you. But if it's critical in, in the outward that you're seeing, then there is a critical inward issue. And we have to look and say, there's something critically wrong down in there. Otherwise, how would I continue to grieve the Holy Spirit in this area? And of course, maybe grieve other people that are experiencing that. You could write this down. My wrong outward actions are the product of a wrong inner spiritual condition. So sometimes we think that, you know, uh, well, somebody made me get upset. Or, you know, um, if you knew, you know, more about me, uh, how I was raised or whatever, you'd understand why I have this problem. But folks, we have to realize that we, we can't ever get over a sin that we defend. If I say, I don't know your situation, my dad was saved when he was 19. I was saved younger than that. But uh, my dad was saved out of a, uh, he, he knew nothing. But uh, he got saved. 19 is, is kind of late. Uh, in other words, you go through your teen years, you can experience a lot of stuff. But some people don't get saved till much longer than that. And they can say, well, I had so many years in the world, you can see why I have these problems. But see, no one ever was made to sin, were they? No one is ever a victim and has to sin. Sin is always a a choice. Is that true? So I have a choice to yield myself to the Holy Spirit, or I have a choice to yield myself to the flesh. And the question is, why do I keep choosing this, even though I love God so much? There's something inside my heart that is overflowing. Jeremiah 17, 9 backs up the Lord's words here. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And what's the next phrase? And desperately wicked And the question is this, who can know it? That means not only can't you know the person's heart that's next to you, you can't even know your own heart. And does it make sense that, yeah, I've got a heart problem. If I keep going back to the things that I know are wrong, that have grieved me, that I've prayed about, I've memorized scripture about, I may have sought counsel about, it has been a bad thing. Again, we're not talking about maybe adultery or heroin or kidnapping. We're talking about Sins that are part and parcel of the best people in the world, believers who love God with all their hearts, and God's saying, you know what, though? Every time you sin, it's coming out from somewhere. And that means God's got to go deep, amen? And actually, this can bring hope, because that means that the answer to your problem is not just one time making one more decision on it. Like if you go to a doctor, and a doctor says, well, you got this problem, and and I want to treat you about this. You're like, oh, I don't need to be treated. I I just need the problem cleared up. He's like, well, I have to put you through this chemotherapy or I have to put you through uh, this, uh, this and this and this. You're like, no, 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 I just want the problem cleared up, doctor, okay? And what happens is with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's always saying, I, I, I want to do some work here. I need a patient, though, who's going to cooperate with me. I need one who's going to stay on the, on the table and not be always trying to get off and just kind of say, well, I'm fine. I don't need anything deep. I don't need anything, uh, you know, uh, really deep. You know, I've been saved all these years, you know, and I, and I don't need anything really deep. The problem is my spouse. The problem is the culture. And God's going to say, no, no. The problem is with us, amen? Our biggest enemy is right here. 
There are problems in the world, and I deal with it all the time in the ministry that I have, and, and the culture is a mess, and, and I have people needing help, and, and they're, they, they're continually being bombarded by, by sexual temptation or, or uh, this type of stuff. And maybe, as I talk to people, they have problems in their marriage, serious problems in their marriage, serious problems in their marriage, and many of them would point the finger at their spouse. But our spouse never made us sin. The culture never made us sin. I have chosen to sin. Amen? Sin number one, the underlying root issue. Would you like to know what it is? We don't have one up here that I know of, but this will work close enough. I want you to think of this as, a, as like a, a, a stool. That would hurt to sit on there, so we'll turn it this way. All sin sits upon a three-legged, three legs. First one is this. If you could write this down, I would encourage you to do so. I'd encourage you to, this will not sound super amazing when I first say it, and I'm prefacing it on purpose, but it is probably the most wicked of all. The underlying first leg that creates the problems that sin, all sin sits on, first of all, is this. Not trusting God. You want one word answer? Unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is the great first symptom of someone who, when they know to do right and they don't do right, and they give in the time of pressure or the time of temptation, the thing that sits, the first leg that that all sin sits upon, is there every time a person gives in. Every time you give in. Every time your child gives in. Anytime someone gives in and gives in to the wrong emotion or the wrong thoughts or the wrong words, every time, first of all, and markedly so, it's unbelief. Now let me just explain unbelief because this is not something that is easy to get our minds around. Now maybe your pastor has preached on this. Maybe that would be great. If so... But uh, we often, this is hard to explain because belief or faith, all right? So in the New Testament, belief and faith, same words from the, from the, the language of the New Testament. Believe and faith, the verb means to trust, and faith is the noun form, and from the language of the New Testament, it's the same word, one's a noun and one's a verb. So we're talking about trusting God or believing in God. Give you a definition here. It means this, and again, hopefully we'll, we'll, this will help us as we go along. A definition of unbelief is this, not giving God or his words the rightful place of receiving my full trust. Okay? Now this message, if, if, if we're looking for simple answers, this is not going to help us because the Holy Spirit's not looking for simple things. He's interested in completely sanctifying us. Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. So God is looking to do a complete work. Can I get an amen on that? He's looking to do a complete work. Now just kind of tweak me so that I'm looking better and that I'm really awesome and people will think I'm spiritual. You know, he's trying to do a complete work to, to make me Christ-like. And the first leg on the stool of being totally unchristlike, giving into sin, is a matter of I don't give God or his words the rightful place they deserve in my life. And what is that rightful place? What they deserve. What God's word deserves. What God himself deserves is receiving my full trust. And the word trust means 
to, to place confidence in, reliance on. So let me ask you a question. Can a person get saved without fully trusting Christ for salvation? Is there any question about that? Can we say, well, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's baptism, not faith. No, we know that if you believe, you can be saved. Amen? What is belief? Trusting. Belief is this, putting my full trust in the Savior. I have an evangelist friend that talks about saving faith. And he says, saving faith is a full trust, complete dependence on God. But you can have a split trust. You could think that, oh, I'm not so bad, but I do, I do believe in Jesus, but I'm not so bad that in order to, I don't need to go to hell. And what you're doing is, it's like you're trying to sit on both chairs. Well, you can't be saved if you're sitting on both chairs. You can't be saved if you're trusting your works, can you? You can't be saved if you're trusting your works and Jesus. It has to be a 100% Jesus. Is this true? 100%. He does all the saving. He has to be completely trusted. He's the only one. There is no other name under heaven given on men whereby we must be saved. There's nothing else. A bucket of water didn't die for you on the cross. A person died for you on the cross. Amen? And he must be fully trusted in. But do you know, friends, listen, if I would place my full trust in God when I'm tempted, I would never sin. Let me think about that. We can talk about this later if you'd like to, but do you know a verse in the Bible that says we have to sin? There's no verse that says thou must sin every day. In fact, Romans 6, Paul says, are we going to continue in sin that, what, grace may abound? And what's the next two words? God forbid. What? He's like, what? So God does have the grace there. And if I sin, there's the grace of 1 John 1, 9. That if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me. That's God's grace, amen? But if I'm going to get God's grace after the sin, can I get God's grace before the sin? I could claim God's grace front-loaded. I could could claim God's grace where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. In other words, God's interested in delivering me from myself. The question is, do I want to be delivered from myself, or do I like some of the things I do? I like my anger. It gets results. When the kids are bad, ah, threaten them, they, you'll be grounded till you're 100. You know, and that feels good. So let's, men, women, do you have a problem with anger? You know how every problem of anger will be cleared up? Oh, here it sits in all its glory. Oh, you're in full display when you're angry. Just all you and it has nothing to do with God. And I'd like to ask you, why? Because the first leg of sin is I totally cut God out of the picture so I can be angry. Unbelief is where I don't see God in the picture. Unbelief is where I leave him out of the picture. Unbelief is where I don't put my full trust in him. Then Ephesians 6 says, there's the shield of faith that will quench every dart of the wicked one. 1 John 5, 4, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Faith. He doesn't say this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our self-discipline, or even, you know, just pray harder. No, it's dependence on God to do what we cannot do. It is a full dependence on Him and His words, giving them their rightful 
place. So you could say that unbelief is a terrible, terrible sin. And another way, in a way to, uh, to say it, as I first said, it's not trusting God, to be God, not letting God into a situation. And, and parents, how many of you have, have children that are still in the home? Can you raise your hand? Okay. This is where we got to start with our kids. We get so focused on they're not doing their homework or they're not obeying or they're not working hard or they didn't go to bed when I said to go to bed. And we're all up here. Our whole Christian life is up here. Sin, 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 sin. And sure, it is a sin. But their bigger problem, since we're told that sin comes from the heart, from within, the bigger problem is, well, what's within then? And they get the same wicked heart that I do. And outside the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work, I'm in big trouble, and they're going to look the part for years. My kids right now, we try to help them to dress up and look good and brush their teeth once a month whether they need to or not, you know, and, and uh, but you know what? What's really going on, what's the most important thing about my children? What's going on in their heart? And I don't, don't know anything about anybody here, but do you know stories about young people that will stay in church until they're out on their own? or they graduated from high school, and now you see them on Facebook, and you're like, what? What? I knew him. I knew her. Because she knew what to do, and she may have been sincere, but eventually, she started promoting herself above trusting God, or him started promoting himself above God. Unbelief is not bringing eternal perspective into play. And if I don't bring an eternal perspective in, then self-gratification in some way or another will prevail. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have problems with your emotions. Emotions getting the best of you. Sometimes you can just say, yeah, I just get, you know, and your, your emotions get all involved. So, you know what happens in those times? There's an open door. Here's a door right here. It says emergency exit only. Do you know that in all of our lives, we have a door that if we open to God, He'll come in, and we will win that battle. Now, let me tell you how wicked unbelief is. Unbelief. If I open the door to him, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, confidence and trust in God. Here's how wicked unbelief is. Unbelief is where I choose to keep God out. Think about the last time you sinned where you actually wanted God in, in that moment. When a person puts on their headphones, listens to music they shouldn't listen to. When a person watches some type of entertainment or video they shouldn't watch. When someone chooses to go to Facebook instead of to the scriptures. When, when, when someone is, is, uh, should, should give out a track and they don't. What it comes down to is, sure, we need more, we need more boldness, we need more self-discipline, we need all these sort of things, but you know what would solve it all? Paul says this in Romans 7. He doesn't say, what is going to deliver me from the body of this death, right? He says, who? The answer to the sin problem is always a person. Can I get an amen on that? Always, it never changes. It always has been Jesus. If you know the Son, you shall be free indeed. And unbelief is so wicked because it's like this. If I want to get angry at my wife, I have to hold this. Because I would rather sin. I'd rather say what I want to say than to let God in. 
it really is probably the greatest of all sin. It's the thing that sends people to hell. Numbers chapter 20, Moses. Moses was told by the Lord, Lord uh, Moses, strike or speak to the rock. There's never a time when he was told to strike the rock, but he's told in this case, speak to the rock, remember? Numbers 20. Remember what he did? He said, you rebels, shall I fetch water from this rock, you rebels? And what does he do? He smites the rock twice. And you can read Numbers 20, 12 through 14. You know what the Lord does? The Lord says to him, hey, Moses, this is what he says. He doesn't say, you got angry, you lost your cool. He says this, you can read it. You did not believe me to sanctify me in front of the children of Israel. And dear folks, do you know what unbelief cost Moses? What was it? The promised land. We see in Hebrews chapter 4 that it says this about the whole nation of Israel, the ones who rebelled. So we see that they entered not in because of unbelief. We're talking about millions of people. You know what I have to say to us then tonight? There's a very good chance that we will not see the miracles that God wants us to see. There's a very good chance that we will not see the revival we want to see. I appreciate your pastor's heart talking about um, wanting to do something for God. Man, that's what we need to hear. That's what we need to hear. We need to hear people talking about stuff like that. Amen. You know what will keep you from seeing miracles in your family? Not giving God his rightful place of your full trust. Had Moses just said, Lord, these people... They have been rebellious since the day we left. Instead, he does strike the rock, disobedience, and the Lord says this. You know what it was? You did not believe me. You can go to the New Testament, Peter. Oh, there's the Lord. He's walking on the water. Lord, can I come to you? Wow, what a thing. That's, that's a good thing that we should ask the Lord to do something great in your life. Amen? Peter was thinking outside the box. No one's ever walked on water except Jesus. And he says, can I come to you? And the Lord says, absolutely. Peter walks on the water. And when he saw the wind boisterous in the waves, he began to go under. And you can look it up. When he gets back to the boat, the Lord says to him, O ye of what? See, this is the issue. Young people, this is the issue why you're not living for God. It's because you're not trusting him in the moment. Man of God, it's when you're at your workplace and you got the, the pressures there of the world or, or you, you start to think about you know, the worldly goals you could have and, and the money you could make. And if you just climb this ladder, and God's going to say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to put me first? And it's not about big things. You wouldn't be in a church like this if you didn't trust God in, in big ways. It's like, Counterculturalism in the sense of we're just going to do right no matter what the world does. Amen? Amen? This is what this church is all about. But the bigger issue about what I'm about, what you're about as an individual, is in the moment of temptation for your sin. Are you exalting God where He needs to be? All you have to do is open the door. I tell people all over the country God has never lost a battle, He's a battle winner, and He'll win your battle if you bring him in. You have to be willing to bring in the battle winner 
into your battle and say, Lord, I need you in the moment of temptation. You run away to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's got it all together. He's going to help you with this. But if in the moment I won't look to Jesus, I'm going to go under the waves, just like Peter. Hebrews 3 says, 3 says this, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He calls out believers, and he calls it an evil heart of unbelief. Let's move to number two. Don't we wish there was only one leg to that stool? Number two is this. The sin that's always present, underneath the sin that is obviously present, is this. Self-love. Self-love. You could write down words that might help us even more. Self-centeredness. Looking out for self. The key in temptation is always going to be putting my trust in a faithful God right now. But the reason we don't is because self-centeredness. Looking out for ourselves, full of ourselves. Ephesians 5, 28 to 29, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. There's no one that has ever hated their own flesh. We're all desperately in love, madly in love with ourselves. 2 Timothy 3, 2, In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. That's 2 Timothy 3, 2. Philippians 2, 20 and 21, Paul says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Isn't this interesting? The second, the second leg of a three-legged stool of every sin that ever has ever happened in my life, it has been situated on the fact that not only do I leave God out, but I bring myself in in all my vanity and my self-love. Philippians 2.4 says, look not every man on his own things. But again, I want to focus on Philippians 2.21 for a minute. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Can I say, dear lady of God, every time you gave in to a sin, to the temptation, then it becomes sin. It's because you sought your own, not the things of Jesus Christ. Is anybody with me? See, this is what happens. The, The bigger issue is the disobedience. If my son is disobedient, sure, the disobedience is wrong. Children, obey your parents to the Lord. That is true. But if I want to get to the heart of the problem, and I'm just going to discipline the outward action and don't realize that there's all this stuff going on underneath. There's this fact that he totally left God out. Now, he may not even know God very well, but it's my job to help him know God. But he exalted his self. He sought the things of his own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Until we have a basic heart change about ourselves. We'll never see the victory we're looking for. I tell this story that is, is a, a funny story for my daughter. Um, so she was three years old. And um, so my wife teaches piano. And uh, my wife would go, be gone on piano, and I have to watch my little daughter. And, um, and so that was always interesting because, again, firecracker, you just I already mentioned that. And, um, but I gave her, she sat in this, this baby chair. She might have been two. She sat in this high chair, and there was this... Um, she had this tray, 
in front of her. She'd sit there and they had this little tray with a sippy cup holder. And, um, and I came in and she used to le- love, what are they? Almonds. Still does. You little rebel. And uh, she would love almonds. And I gave her a few almonds. Okay, that's fine. I like almonds too. I gave her a few in her little, on her little tray. And then I went out of the room and I came back in later on. Well, what I neglected to realize that the bag of almonds was right here. And she reached over and she had dumped all these almonds onto her tray. And I come in and, of course, teachable moment. I was like, wow, you know, the shocking selfishness of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Me first. And I said to her, oh, no, no, no. You cannot have all those almonds. You need to give Daddy back some. I mean, she just basically wiped the bag out. You need to give Daddy back some. And she takes her little hand, which is about this big, you know. You know how many she handed me? One. <laughs> see, see, what we want is, you know, even the Bible says, Matthew 6, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be uh, uh, given unto you, added unto you. We don't mind seeking Christ. We just don't want to seek him first. Isn't that true? We want to be first, and, and, and he's, you know, we won't say that in church. But it doesn't matter what we say in church. It's not about words, is it? It is about action. It is about loyalty to the king of kings. In the, what really matters is in the battle. Words do matter, but you know what I'm talking about. And what happens is, in the battle, when I could do, when I could put Christ first, or myself, and here's the thing, sin never happened, never happened in my life without me putting myself first. And that means God's got to work deeply inside of me to remove self-love. Let me ask you a question. Husbands, would your wife put the word unselfish, we're talking about selfishness, would your wife, how, how many men, how many of you are married? Can you raise your hand? Don't be, some of you are like, can I do that in church? You're looking around, at, can they, are the deacons raising their hand? Okay, I can raise my hand. I'm afraid to admit to anything. Okay, men, would your wife put the word unselfish and your name in the same sentence? Would she, and be with a straight face? Would she put the word unselfish and your name? Or would she say, no, he, oh, he's a deacon, but you don't. <laughs> okay. Ladies. With the people who know you best, I mean, we're talking about your husband, your family, would they put your name and unselfish in the same sentence, like really close together? Would it be a uh, compatible thing, or would it be like, oh, no, no, no. That name and, and unselfish do not go in close proximity. We have to wrap this up, but we have to ask God to do a deeper work. And finally, the last leg of the stool on which all sin sits, is simply the matter of pride. Pride. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction. There's God talking about the root issues. Pride, a haughty spirit before a fall. He's talking about the fact that the matter is that all of us are proud. Jeremiah 45, 5, And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Can I ask you, would you acknowledge you have a problem with pride? What are some evidences of pride? Self-admiration? Do you ever bask in your own glory about something well done? 
Are you a person who craves the pastor saying to you from the pulpit, I want to thank so-and-so? Now, we all like affirmation, and we, and we all like appreciation. I'm sure your pastor uh, is, does a great job of that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But what I'm saying is, do we ever, is that ever a motive for us? Wanting to be seen of men? Matthew 23, 12, And whosoever shall, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 16, 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Daniel 4, 37, And those that walk in pride he is able to abase. What God is looking for is someone who's truly humble. Do you know I can never sin unless I rise up inside and say, I'm going to do it my way for now. Oh, in short order, I'm going back to the door. I'm letting God in now because I don't want to get away from God. I don't want to, I want to keep short accounts of God. I'm going to open that door of grace to forgiveness. But it's the pride, it's the unbelief, it's the selfishness of me saying, not yet, not now. I'll do it in a minute here. Proverbs 8.13, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 28.25, he that is proud of heart stirreth up strife. You know where all fighting comes from? One of the legs. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James 4, 6 and 10, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. See, here's the thing. What God is looking for is he wants to take all three of those legs and flip them. He wants to start a whole new uh, stool over here, if you want to call it that. A three-legged stool. What he wants to do is he wants to take my unbelief and he wants me to be a person who's consciously and regularly running away to God in my heart and mind and trusting him in life's battles, trusting him with my emotions, trusting him with my fear, trusting him in the trial. God's wanting me to, all he wants me to do is make him my continual resort, the Bible says. David says, the Lord is who I continually resort to. Folks, have you ever thought about this way? When I sin, I'm just like the atheist where it says God is not in all his thoughts. What God's wanting me to do is he wants to turn me from a good independent Baptist into someone who's Christ-like and actually pleases the Father, not just has good standards down here, which we're not diminishing. But I'll tell you what, Christ-likeness is what God's after. He's after Christ-likeness. He's after people seeing in my life. He wants my family, you know, my wife and I, my wife knows me. Talk to, her, talk to her afterwards if you want to. She'll be nice. Hopefully. Will you please? But she would probably say, I don't always see Christ in my home. Oh, you know what I want my kids to say at my funeral? We saw Christ. Do you know, I don't know if there's been any deaths in the, fam, uh, in the church here lately, but at a funeral, people always say nice things, don't they? That's good. But I wonder, man of God, how many things are your wife, is your wife going to let you take to the grave with you? Because the real you can't be talked about at your funeral. The selfish you, the proud you, the very unchristlike you, in fact, almost the, the devilish you, 
the worldly minded you, the angry you. What I want, this is what I do want. I don't know if she could say it now, but if I drop dead tonight, I wish my wife could say, he was the same at home. You've heard people say that, amen? Praise the Lord. What did be said about you? Young people, what did be said about you? They only lived to be 10, but they had a heart for God. Um, in their heart, there wasn't this selfishness and this pride and this unbelief. They were a man after God's own heart. They, they had the choice, and what, what was going on in their heart, now this only could be done by the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about that somehow you can change it just by kind of playing with these words and writing them down in your notes. We're talking about God's job through the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us where he flips all this, and he makes a person who doesn't want to trust God, unless it's easy, to trust him at the absolute hardest point in their life, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He wants to take that other leg, which is self-love and self-centeredness. He wants to flip it. He wants to make it to where you actually fulfill the great commandment to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. We're not talking about the guy down the street or behind you in the alley. We're talking about sometimes your spouse or the person that tweaks you at work, the person who annoys you, the person who's trying to get you angry. God wants to take that leg, he wants to flip it into a great self-sacrificing love. Now abide the faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is love. God wants to take the self-love and turn it into God-love. And the last leg, God wants to take pride. And what's the flip of pride? Humility. God is all about humbleness of mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Remember Jeremiah's words to his friend, seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. The biggest problem in my life is not the one people see. The biggest problem in my life is the ones that God sees that create the things people see. I wonder if God spoke to you about keeping the door shut. When he could have went, he could have won. Do you know there's never a sin that you gave into without those three things there? And God could have come in that door every time. There's not one sin. We've got to realize, oh, how wicked I am because I've kept the battle winner out of my battle. I didn't, I was telling the pastor the other day about being spiritual. I said, sometimes we don't want to even be spiritual. Can you relate to that? Sometimes we're kind of like, just want to be grumpy. How many of you, you know, some people have, like, jerseys with their names on the back? How many of you, your jersey says, Old Grumpy? Anybody? Okay. But how many should be there? How many, it could be called Moody. Your name is Jan or Beth. It should be Moody. It should be Scorch Earth. Because if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, the whole world is going to be in trouble. (laughs) And if it weren't for Starbucks, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Okay. If we get our coffee, though, we're right back with the Lord where we need to be. Did God speak to your heart? Pride, unbelief, selfishness. As we close, sin cannot take place with these. And what God's looking for is getting back to trust, getting back to dependence, getting back to selflessness, the selflessness for God and others that only the Holy Spirit can do, and getting back to that humility 
Are you humble? Do you confess it to God? Are you broken before God? And do you know that this is not as serious as this? Even though Christ died for this, he says it comes out of the heart. And what's going on in my heart, this wickedness that God, if he wants to make me like Christ, where it's no longer me up here, it's him. He's going to have to deal with this. I wonder if God has spoken to you about one of the three legs on the stool of sin. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you for your kind attention.